0: Right, if you have your Bible with you there this morning, please turn with me to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Is it the back of your New Testament? And we're going to be reading from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And the end of the book verse 15. Therefore through him let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, not wanting to conduct ourselves. Or, sorry, wanting to conduct ourselves honourably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I might be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought us up, brought up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, if he comes. Uh, if he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. So in, in the, uh, the ending of this letter, this sermonette, as it were, the writer uh, ends with... Uh, Prayer. People in persecution should pray. People under stress should pray. People who are in conflict, they should pray. They should not neglect prayer, but rather they should increase in prayer. And you would think that that would be the natural uh, action of a church that is under pressure, that a church that's going through difficulty, a church that, that is on the The border of of of, um, just completely lost it. We kid looked at me very cutely. Um, On the border of compromise, they would pray all the more. But the danger is, beloved, that we stop praying. We kind of grow tight in ourselves. Our hesitancy cuts us off from the Savior. The divisions and the fears and the (sighs) negative feelings oftentimes rob us of the blessing of God's presence, which then causes a distance in our emotions, in our experience of God, which stops the prayer life happening on a personal level and on a collective level. Because in order for a church to stop praying as a collective, it must begin with the turning off of individuals, one after another and after another, and then what happens? The church stops praying. It should not be so. And here in his last exhortation, the writer is crying out, calling for the church to keep praying, and, and specifically here, he's asking them to pray for him. Pray for us, for we are convinced we have a clear conscience, that we've done all that we can do Pray for me. I believe that I've done all that I can do. I have a clear conscience, but that's no guarantee in itself. The idea here is perhaps he's in jail or that he is somehow and somewhere incarcerated in his own house. Remember that the Apostle Paul was put under house arrest? That this man, the writer of this, doesn't enjoy the freedom that you and I have. And therefore that's why he's sending this letter and he's asking them to pray for him i haven't done anything wrong but still pray for me that i might be released that i might be able to do what god has called me to do it says here wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything and and that's very important the temptation when you're in a difficult situation is to cut corners it's perhaps to make friendships or alliances with people who are not necessarily walking in his way or keeping his requirement. But if we have a desire to do what's right, it's an indication. Or we must know that we can do all that we can do, but we need God to do that which we cannot do. God must interject. I can't, I can't interfere with your heart. Or dictate the, the, the situation, the providence that goes on. That one government does something, or that or the, the, the situation balances itself or fi- fixes itself in that sense. Only God can do those things. My responsibility is to live a righteous life, do all that I can do, and give honor to God through my response and my reaction, my life. But even then, that's no guarantee. God must come into some situations. God must watch over us. God must change the heart or open up doors where there were no doors. And so in this, he's crying out that, or he's asking that they would pray for him, that he might be able to behave himself, to present himself in such a way that it brings glory to God. And we, beloved, must pray for one another and indeed pray for our leadership. That they behave in such a way that it is according to their conscience under the word of God. That they don't compromise, they they don't give in. They don't try and double dip one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of Christ, but rather they stay in righteousness and in integrity and also then that they're able to conduct themselves they don't behave in an immoral way we were told this week of uh, uh, of an 80 year old minister a minister who's 80 years old and this year left his wife and began an immoral relationship with a young lady He's 80 years old. How have it been? The Lord knows. But we, as the leaders of the church, we as those who represent Christ here to you, the people, we need your prayers. We need you to pray for us in order that we might conduct ourselves in an honourable way. That our relationships with other men's wives or the young ladies of our church will be mothers and sisters, daughters, that we would care and love for you, that that, that we would protect. It wouldn't be tyrants. We would be shepherds. We wouldn't be hard-handed. We would be gracious and kind. We need you to pray. Do you remember the story of? I know it's apocryphal, but there was a story told of Spurgeon, and a reporter was asking Spurgeon, "Mr. Spurgeon, what do you credit to your success? Is it your way of speaking? Is it your great intellect? Is it?" Is it the, this or that? And Spurgeon thought for a few moments and said, My people pray for me. My people pray for me. And that was the key to Spurgeon's success. Beloved, the writer here is asking the congregation of that time, indeed the Jewish believers, to pray for him, for he understood that he could do all that he could do, but he still needed the Lord to interact and interject into his life. And he says in verse 19, I urge you all the more to pray that I might be re- restored to you. There comes a time when we must make special efforts in prayer. Beloved, you should have a daily prayer life. Okay? You said, <laughs> you don't know my life read but... Uh, <laughs> Those who are married or have family members or whatever else, you know, or colleagues who have relationships with other people outside themselves. When you meet a person day and daily in your office or again, the person that you live with or whatever else, to have a relationship with that person, you must communicate to that person. I know that's a shock here in this country, but seriously, you must communicate. You must give something of yourself and you must receive from someone else. It is a give and take. A back and forth. You must earn trust. You must give trust. And as it is in human relationships, so it is with the divine. Beloved, if you're to grow in your knowledge of Him, and I don't mean knowing about Him, but knowing Him, my wife knows me better than I know myself. It's horrible. It's horrible. She's able to, by just the expressions on my face, I would like to say they're micro-expressions, but I'm not a fan, they're macro-expressions, you know. Major, big, high, And uh, my wife is able to see what's going on, and, and, and she, you know, <coughs> She's so she has been with me for so long, what, we've been married 25 years, together for 27, I'm that old, it's scary, isn't it? She knows me inside and out. She's very familiar with me. She could write a book. Not just what I've done, but of who I am as a person. Please, God, let her never do that. In the same sense, beloved. And that's because she spent so much time with me. We're, we see each other almost every day, except when I'm off doing other things or there. So, well, she's not a football, you know. But she sees me all the time. We share the same bed together. There is a familiarity there, an intimacy. And in the same way, beloved, we who are the children of God, the bride of Christ, who have been redeemed and saved, ransomed to Him, we who have the Spirit of God within us, there must be an intimacy between you and And your God. Now, I'm not talking, you do what some of us stupid people do, spend hours. Oh, Lord. But there must be a moment of your day when you say, hey, when you look to the divine, when you sit in that sanctuary where it's just you and Him, when you touch Him and you receive from Him. You must be conscious that you are in a relationship with our God. A real relationship and therefore it must be a living relationship, not just taken for granted. How would your friend, your parent, your relative, your your partner feel if you went 20 years without speaking to them? Sorry I would say, that's pretty normal. There wouldn't be much of a relationship there. Beloved, we as Christians must pray. But at times there must be a special effort made in prayer. As a congregation, as a people. We must gather together when there are special needs. Indeed, there are times when we might even have to fast and pray. Do you remember when the church in Antioch, Syria, was considering sending out missionaries? And they fasted and they prayed whether they should send out missionaries. And they decided, they came to the conclusion, Barnabas and Saul who became Paul. They fasted and prayed, seeking God's wisdom and insight and direction and leading. And there must come times when we as a congregation give ourselves to prayer. The Bible says that his house shall be known as a house of prayer. And don't you think it's important that he's ending his letter, sermonette, exhortation with the command to pray? The exhortation, the come on. He's not telling them to be faithful in almsgiving. He's not telling them to be faithful in in uh, kids' work or anything else or this, but prayer. The beseeching unto God, the reaching out the reaching out to God in order that God might come into our experience and change things. That God might, this man who was separated from them again, we don't know if he was in jail, we don't know if he was in house arrest, we don't know if his passport had been revoked and he'd been put out of the country, we don't know! But we do know that he was separated and he believed that the power of prayer could restore him to them. He doesn't say, write to your congressman. He doesn't say, start a petition online. He doesn't say, you know, reach out to the newspapers. Speak to the elders of the community. He says to them, pray. I urge you all the more, it's strong language. It's like, come on, do this. And beloved, as Christian people, we must pray. God has given us a great resource. And yet it's the beginning of the journey. Years will go into the, the reforming of, our, of our, 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 our church building and of our church place. Years will go into that. And we can do all that we can do, but at the same time, we must have God's help. We must seek the Lord. We should not be humanistic in the sense of, now we must do it ourselves, roll up our sleeves and get in there and, oh, it's all up to us. God began it, but we'll finish it. We must walk in step with Him. We should not be ashamed or embarrassed to be able to go to, Lord, you have given us this facility, this building. Now, Lord, enable us to make it the best building that we can make it for your glory and for your honor. Enable us, O oh Lord, to be able, not just to, to bless ourselves, but the community in which we live. The area in which our community is based the nation in which we are a part of. Lord, the community of nations that we are a part of. Lord, help us that we might bring glory to your name. You say, Kyle, oh you must be realistic. Come on. No, I want I'm biblical. Antioch Syria? They met together, they prayed, their eldership, their every nation, tribe and tongue, they all got together and prayed and said, we're gonna send out two missionaries and their entourage. And by doing so, the New Testament came into birth, or 47% of the New Testament, through the actions of Paul. The gospel gets sent throughout all Asia Minor, all the way up into Europe, all the way up into Spain, through the actions of one small fellowship in a major city. Their eyes were bigger than their belly, as we like to say in Ireland. You know, they had a greater appetite than what they were able. They wanted to shape and change the world for Christ. And they believed under the power of God they could do it. And they did it. And you and I, beloved, are fruit of their ministry. What that little church did in Antioch Affects you and I here today. For we we have the writings of the scriptures. Paul's efforts to bring Christianity. Paul and Barnabas' efforts to bring Christianity throughout the world. So therefore, there comes a time, beloved, when we must gather together and pray. We must not neglect prayer. We must not devalue it. As if to say, well, you know, know, but there's real life as well. You, You can get together. You can have your spiritual moment. But there's real life as well. And that's true. But our God is the God who supersedes, oversteps real life. He said, what? Do you not believe that Jesus Christ did miracles? That he created flesh where there was no flesh and healed people and he was raised from the dead. He stepped over the physics of this world and he did supernatural things. Well, that was Dan. Kyle, it's not now. We're not continuationists. We believe that the authority of the apostles died with the apostles. But we do have a God who continually answers prayer. And in his providence, does what he wants to do. He said, well, we haven't seen it. And that's a sad thing. I think in our day, we are in a dip. We are in the, the downward spiral, the downgrade, as Spurgeon said. We're still in the low period. People have tried to build God's kingdom by their own hands not needing the Spirit of God to change the hearts of men. They've got too much money, too much resources. I can't remember who I said it to about the Chinese evangelist Jong Sung in the early parts of the 1900s. He was invite, he was a, God used him mightily in China to, to bring many people to Christ. He was like... I don't know, I was going to say the Billy Graham, but maybe not Billy Graham. You understand, there was, there was great fruit from his ministry. And he was invited to go to America to see the glory of Christianity in America and to speak at some conferences. And he went there and he spent six months and he came back and he traveled throughout all of the United States preaching and teaching and, and um, giving witness to God's work in China. And he was on his way back and a news reporter, always a news reporter, a blogger, we would say today, maybe. The newspaper asked him, Evangelist Son, he they didn't call him Pastor. A son. What was your impression of America? And he didn't thought and he said, It's amazing what American Christians can do without the power of God. They build great monoliths, great buildings in honor of the Lord, but their hearts are cold and they have no desire for vandalism, or for the people. There must come a time, beloved, when we pray and we don't get distracted or, or, or led away with just humanistic thinking. We are the co-laborers together with God and we can testify. We have a great testimony in that the Lord answers prayer. Therefore, we must be a praying people. And then we get into verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, he transfers from asking them for, for prayer to now praying for them. We have his prayer. He says, Now I made the God of peace, and that's a really excellent title. It's one that Paul uses regularly. He uses it in Romans 15 and 16, he uses it in 2 Corinthians 13. The God of peace, it's a double-barreled name, meaning he is peace, he resides in peace. We, you know the verses, God is love, God is peace. Indeed, I think it's in Second Corinthians where it says, May the God of love and of peace, double-barreled name, meaning that in Him is found peace, but also those who are associated to Him have that peace. He's not the God of conflict. He's not the God who goes around and, and fights back. Remember, these people are under persecution. Light persecution beginning to be hard persecution. And he's making sure that they're aware that our God doesn't cause conflict. He doesn't go online and start trolling people all the time. He doesn't do it just for the sake of doing it because it's fun. When we started the church way back in the day, gosh, we're so old, aren't we? My goodness, we're veterans. Um, I remember a gentleman from the Reformed camp saying to me, what you need to do is go and find the most charismatic, the most popular, the most handsome of the charismatic leaders and challenge them to a theological duel. Go after them. Expose them. Destroy their ministry. Give them no peace until they recant. And I just couldn't do that because... I don't see the Lord Jesus Christ going after them. Yes, he was in conflict with the Pharisees. I don't see the Apostle Paul chasing after the charismatic. Yes, he names names, but we don't see her have any evidence of him trying to actively tear down these men. And that our God is a God of peace. When they come into conflict with us, they smash against us like waves against a rock. Like waves against one of those big pictures, the the lighthouse. We stand tall. We shine forth the light. The truth is seen by our response. And in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of conflict, we stand tall because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. That spirit of peace, God, the Holy Spirit, Is within us can be found in us. We have access to that, and it is reflected. His attribute of peace is reflected and seen within us. Though we may be tossed around for a while, though there may be a tempest of emotion, His peace reigns, and all things pass, but God's peace is eternal. He points to them, points them to that God. He reminds them that that though they are in a time of testing and of persecution, God is still God and He's still the God of peace. He's not stressed or worried. He's sovereign. He knew what was going to happen. He knows what's happening. He knows what will happen. Therefore, be confident in Him. Gosh, I'm speaking to myself here about Ireland. Oof, Lord. That hit there, that bit with teeth. We must remain in that spirit of peace. And then he goes on. This is the first time in this book that he directly refers to Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Who brought brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. He reminds them of the reality of the power of God. These people may have been there. A great deal of these people may have been in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus was crucified, or they may have been part of the, the Pentecost crowd that came to faith through the preaching of Peter. They're Hebrews, they, they know the story, they're very familiar. They're in that time frame. Thousands of years haven't passed, they're in the lifespan of that great occurrence. It's still real for them. They have family members who say, yeah, I was there. I saw it. I was worshiping in Jerusalem and the, the whole sky went black. It was an earthquake. 500 people who were dead came forth from the graves. It was crazy. And he's reminding them of the reality of the power of God. And we must be reminded of that. Oh especially we who are here in this unfeeling cold north where it snows in the first week of October. (gasps) So often we can be devoid. We have been robbed of our spiritual supernaturalness and we have become atheistic, materialistic. We are children of our age everything's scientific, everything has a reason, everything has the, this little box, we open. Oh, it fits there. But here the writer is reminding them, our God is real, he is the true and real God who raised Christ from the dead. If he's able to do that, we can trust him. And beloved, you and I need to be reminded, that's why we have the Lord's Supper. It's not just a nice thing that we do together that's You know, unifying, but it's there, it's our declaration, it's our recognition that Jesus died for us and that God raised him from the dead. It is our recognizing and accepting the great covenant that Christ made with the Father on our behalf, that he would give his life, his passive and active obedience. We all know that one. That he would lay down his life. His very life blood. That we give His body in our place. And in doing so, win for us reconciliation with the Father. Allowing us to be able to go into heaven. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. That's why we we remember Him. In celebration of that resurrection that was and the resurrection that is to come. As God raised him from the dead, he will raise us from the dead. And that which was the cost, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we remember during the Lord's Supper, that's our declaration. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about our goodness, our deserving. It's not about us being active or any part. It's about Jesus and we recognize that Jesus is the one who did all the work, and here the church of this day is being reminded. And if they needed to be reminded of the reality of the living Christ, we who are 2,000 years plus away from that event, how much more must we be reminded? Jesus Christ is alive today. He's, He's alive, more alive than you and I are in a glorified eternal body, somewhere in the heavens together with the Father. And one day He will step through the veil, the dimensions that separate us from Him. And He will enter into our material realm once again. And He will bring His kingdom. He will establish His rule upon this existence. And every knee and every every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you want to or not. Some of us will do it with great joy, a triumphant cheer. Others will do it with great dread, with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wishing, and one thing the Bible says, that the mountains would fall upon them, that they could hide in the depths of the earth, that they would try and flee from His presence as shadows from a great light. We must be remem- we must be reminded, not remembered. We must be reminded of the reality of our God in order that we might continue. And he goes on through the, the blood of the everlasting covenant. How long is the covenant? Everlasting. Isn't that glorious? They are mine and they're mine forever. That's what the blood, the blood and the bread, the wine and the bread represents. It's the covenant that Jesus made. It's that which took for your salvation his life for your life because one day you will die. One day you will die. One day we will all die. My dad died at 60. 59, really. He was just about to turn 60. I'm 49 right right now, almost 50, more or less. 49 and a half, more or less. Life is a short thing. Think of those poor people in Israel last night, watching their TVs, eating their shawarma, whatever they do in Israel. Within 15 minutes, Hamas had shot thousands of rockets across the border. And destroyed four hundred and fifty people's lives. More than that, because there's the families. More than that, there's the men, young men and women who are going to fight the war now. More than that, there's the the families that the you must understand the Israelis will not just fight against soldiers. They will kill men, women, and children. They will the Israelis practice blanket warfare. Burnt earth, they kill everybody. There is no rules of conduct. The Israelis will, will level entire cities in revenge of the blood that has been shed. It's frightening. It's frightening. None of us know how long we have. None of us know the day and the hour of our death. And therefore, we must be ready in this life. And Christ has given us this great opportunity. Every day is a gift. Every day is a blessing from Him that you might believe. See, the Bible says that God has commanded everyone everywhere to repent and believe in Him. Your unbelief is the crime. He has done everything. The the God of creation, the God who created everything, the material world that we, we live in, He gave Himself in order that you and I might live. He fixed the problem that we caused. Therefore... When we deny him, we stand in opposition. We're saying, I can live without you. I don't need your help in this life or in the life that is to come. And beloved, that's just an error. The blood of the everlasting covenant is a wonderful and great thing. Because it's not dependent upon you. What part of the covenant did you have? What do you bring into the works of Christ? The Bible says that all of our good deeds, all of the best things we've ever done in our lives are like filthy rags, dirty diapers. You want to see what a dirty diaper looks like? Go ask Melinda. Melinda will let you change the baby's next diaper and you will see what your, the best intentions, your most righteous deeds, your most loving In comparison to the work of Christ on your behalf, in comparison to the gift that God has given for you, everything that you have done is like a dirty diaper. You will never be able to appease or please God by your own actions. You must, the Bible says, or in the Bible theologically, we call it an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from outside ourselves. If you cannot please God, then you must have someone to please God on your behalf. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He appeased God, pleased God. God found him satisfying. We know this because of the resurrection. God raised them from the dead as a reward for the, His active passive righteousness. And the Bible says that, that for those who believe God gives that righteousness. to receive that righteousness, all you must do is believe in Him and live. recognize your own sinfulness, your own shortcomings, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us, the Bible says, is worthy of living in the life that is to come. All of us have fallen short. The Bible says, the soul that sins shall die, but yet the gift of God is eternal life. God's free gift to you and I for all those who would have it, is to believe. To recognize that you and yourself are not worthy. To recognize, it's not hard, is it? To recognize that we're human. That all of us have sinned. All of us, at other thought, word or deed, have fallen short of God's great requirement. God has reduced it down to its bare bones. He's made it so easy for us. He doesn't say, I expect your kidneys or your liver or your firstborn child. You have to pay me X amount of money throughout your life. You have to jump up on one knee. You have to sacrifice animals. You you must do something. No, all he has said is, look and believe and receive the work of Christ on your behalf. Beloved, It is through the blood of the eternal everlasting covenant that Christ did on our behalf that we have peace with God. We cannot make peace otherwise. And then we go on. That he would equip us. Equip you with every good thing. The word equip there means to dress or to put on, to prepare. You might even think it's like when you're making a meal and you prepare the meal, you equipped it, you get it ready for something. The Bible says here that because of the work of Christ, that God has enabled you. He didn't save you just so you could sit there. He saved you that you might serve Him in this world. You have a part to play in the plans of God in this world today. You're not just a passenger. You're not just a spectator. But you yourself play a part in the plans of God in this place in the Bible, it's the prayer of this writer that God might equip you. Again, it's the idea of addressing. You ever go to i I've, I've never been to a tailor's in my life. I've had stuff fitted. When I took. When Emil and I were, were buying his suit for the wedding, and we went to Topman, we went everywhere, everywhere in the city, couldn't find anything. And then we went to Topman and found it directly, exactly what he wanted. But it was a bit big, because my animal's a big guy. You know, I have 40 centimeter arms, my son has 43. Yes, that offends me a little bit, but also makes me proud, okay? Big biceps, my son has bigger biceps, yeah. yeah. And he needed his suit jacket fixed, let out a little bit, expanded a little bit in his giant arms, he loves to tell me, giant arms. And uh, so they went and they did the, all the measurements And they added some stuff to his sleeves and brought in a little bit inside and made it really fitted and nice. And they equipped it so that it would look perfect on him. And that's the idea here that God is equipping you. He's dressing you. He's preparing you. He's going to enable you that you might serve him in this world and bring glory to his name. That you might bring his goodness into other people's experience. Not that you would experience His goodness. But you might be the minister of His goodness to somebody else. And that somebody else might be the minister of His goodness to you. And in doing so we support one another. And we reveal the love of God to one another. Remember in the old... Old days when we were part of the Charismatics, I just want to feel, somebody said to me, I just want to feel the love of God. I want to feel as if I'm loved by God. I want God to tell me that I love you. And I reached over and gave them a hug and said, I love you. There you go. It's not the same. It is. God loves you. How do you know? Because he puts it in the heart of his people and it goes beyond just words. It goes into deeds. goes into time, goes into effort, there's sacrifice. There used to be this old TV show, or not TV show, advertisement, I think I've said it before, it was for Interflower. You know you know what Interflower is? It's a, a flower shop, and you can send flowers across the borders, way back in the 80s. had this wonderful advertisement of a man dressed in black on a speedboat going through somewhere like the Mediterranean. He looked up and there was big cliffs and there's a house on top of the cliff and it was like a James Bond type thing and dan and dan dan and he would climb this cliff, you know, get back up. And there were dogs in the garden. It was like a rich man's house, you know, the James Bond type. And he would hide behind the wall and the person would walk past and and then there was a light shining through the window and he'd go dan he'd throw the rope up and he would climb up. And then there was we cut and a lady would be like in the other room. She'd hear a noise. And she was beautiful, of course, and she'd go into the room and there would be a bouquet of flowers there with the, the little card from, from Into Flower. Say it with flowers. And the idea was, doesn't matter where or who, or who we'll get the flowers. And their, their, their little saying was, uh, you know, if you love someone, say it with flowers. Okay? <laughs> I can hear my wife saying, Yay! Yeah, learn from that, cat. learn. Tulips, red ones, I like them. Um, and there's the, the idea is that it's more than just the thought that counts. I was going to buy you flowers, but it didn't. It's exactly the same. It's the thought that counts. You know I was going to, but it didn't. But you know I was going to, so feel loved. <laughs> we as Christians must be more than just words. There must be weight to our actions. We must demonstrate, and God is the one who equips us. Don't think that you're not able. Don't think that you don't have the resources or the efforts. God will equip you. He is equipping you. Do whatever you can with whatever you have. Whether it's just a, a kind word, you're looking well today. The old saying that a person can live for three months on a compliment and choke for the rest of their life on an insult? Let's be those people who are emissaries of love. Not just in word, but in deed. Caring for one another. Demonstrating the reality of our confession. And it says, through Jesus Christ, of course, to whom is the glory forever and ever, our life As individuals, our lives as a collective must be to the glory of God. Must be to the demonstration of the reality of His saving work within our lives. But we can't just be religious people. We must be the redeemed of Christ. We must be the light of Christ in this dark age. There must be something different about us. That brings glory to his name. You were saved to serve him and bring glory to his name. You can be a nice person in this age, but the motivation must be that Christ is coming forth. You are pointing people to Jesus. And I don't say, every time you do something, I say, this is from Jesus. Please don't do that. Let us be discreet, but at the same time, let us remember that in everything we do, we do unto the glory of the Lord. Not for ourselves, not for someone else, not to be liked or to be friends with people, but we do it unto His glory that the world might see that the work of God that has been done on us is a real work and that the life that we enjoy, the internal life, that friendship with God, the security of heaven that is to come is available for them as well. They must see that we're different. One of the difficulties that I see in our modern year, era today is that we don't have a concept of sin. And as Christians, we no longer... We don't, I, don't want, I, don't, I don't want to be judgmental. Therefore, I'm not going to call you out in a sin. You know, God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to transform. You don't have to change. And as Christians, we almost are trying to be hip and cool and trendy. You know, I am accepting. And, you know, and and we just sit along with the sinners. We sit in their presence. We, we partake in their... We don't want to be judging. I don't want them to think that I'm a judger. Somebody invited me to join a, a certain group About three weeks ago. And I said, you don't want me in that group. You'll find me really judgmental because there's adultery going on. It's a society. There's drunkenness going on. There's vulgarity. And I said, you will not enjoy me being a part of that group. Let me tell you, because I'll call you out. And they were like, they were like, ah, I don't mean to do it. I'm not going to be like horrible. But I stand for what I believe in. Beloved, we must stand for what we believe in. We must be the salt of the earth. We must be the light of the earth. We cannot compromise. We cannot live under a basket. you know understand the, rest, the references. We cannot conceal the light, for in doing so, we mute it and we mute its power. We must stand for something. And that something is the reality of the sanctification, the power of Christ to change a heart. And that's one of the reasons why we don't see salvation. Because we have so watered down what it means to come to Christ. We're so afraid of people thinking that we're, going to, we're judging them. We must warn them of the danger that is to come. There is consequences to living a life without Christ. There's consequences for being sinful. There's consequences for, for, not just eternal ones, but for, for this world. If a husband is flirting with young women, if a husband is going to the Christmas party and having relationships with young women and thinking he can get away with it, he needs to understand there's consequences to that. If a man is looking at pornography or a woman is looking at pornography on on. Their device. They must understand there are consequences. We must call them out. We must be the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We must call them to repentance. We must reveal to them that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is repent and believe. Not just believe, repent and believe. All to His glory. It goes on forever and forever. The good news is that He equips us I think of all those things and I think, oh Lord, who is able for such things? Who, who is, uh, Lord, I, I, I don't have the resources. I don't have the ability. I don't have, I'm angry they're going to be too hard or too judgmental or I'll scare people away, Lord. I'll do more damage and I'll do good. Oh, oh, oh. But the Lord equips. The Lord enables. The Lord prepares He dresses you in order that you might do these good deeds. He does these things in order that you might live pleasingly in His sight. Beloved, let's be a people of prayer. Let's remember that our God is the God of peace. He watches over us and we too can be at peace because He is the God of peace. Let's remember the reality of the, the power of God unto salvation that he rose, raised Jesus from the dead and in doing so enabled salvation for our day. And because he was raised from the dead, people are able to get saved today. Remember this, that he is the great shepherd of his sheep. He cares for us and, 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 and watches over us. He is the great pastor. He is our pastor. Remember that it was by the blood of the eternal everlasting covenant. His blood that you and I are not because of your best efforts. And then finally remember that He is equipping you. You have the resources because He's already given them to you. Be confident in that. And we live all to His glory. Amen. Amen. Let's just finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, please help us. Lord, we desire your glory. We desire to know you all the more. We desire that you might be seen and known in this earth. Lord, we have become so cowed, so so bullied, so pressured. They keep our heads down. And uh, Lord, so often we are embarrassed of the gospel. Lord, let it not be so. You who have done all these things, you who are the God of peace, give us peace that we might serve you all the more in this world. Lord, internal and external peace. We pray, Father, for those who do not know you, those who are still in their sins, those who are still in unbelief, those who would, Lord, look to this world with all the shiny things and be led astray through th- by the devil, the world, and their own flesh. Lord, we pray, speak to them. Lord, they cannot believe unless you yourself enable them. And we ask you, O God, to enable them. We ask, O God, that you give us the word to be able to speak to make known, but Lord, we pray that as we speak, you, the Holy Spirit, would speak all the more clearer, that you would convict them of their sin and convince them of the righteousness of Christ, and then, Lord, consecrate them unto yourself. Oh, God, please, we pray. We ask this for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.